Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. One, two. He struck it out, and the ball game is over. Another opening day success for the New York Mets. 39 of their last 51 on opening day. The pitch is hit in the air toward right. Pretty deep. Conforto to the wall. We're tied. It's a home run. The Braves down to their last strike. Get a lightning bolt from Marcel Ozuna. Stir it up, Marcel. We're tied at two apiece. You know, from, from the start, we know how Rick uh, attacks the zone, um, you know, mixes his pitches. And, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing him, you know, doing this a lot and also trying to pitch up effectively. And then I, I think that was just one of the cases. I mean, he didn't, he didn't pitch up effectively, not, not high enough where he can be effective. I mean, it was, uh, it was up where he could, you know, serve the hitters a little more. Um, and, you know, you have, you have days like that. I mean, I, I really haven't addressed the team uh, as a whole. I mean, we did talking in the dugout about, you know, starting starting to uh, put quality of bats together. I, I, um, that's one of the things that we, we got to start doing is, uh, you know, I think we're, we're chasing, um, uh, you know, it's and that, that's that's leading to not impacting the ball, uh, you know, hard consistently and at the same time not, not getting the benefit of the byproduct, you know, which is, Walking and you know you 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 add a lot you know to that you create traffic you're able to score you know but those are some of the things that we were able to talk a little bit in the dugout during the game you know uh, as we were pushing for a comeback. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, July the 27th, 
2020. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to send me a personal note, it's Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. A little tongue-tied there to start the broadcast. Anyway, uh, welcome in. Good morning, everybody. Coming to you early here on a Monday morning. Uh, Many things have changed with the new season, the truncated season, uh, the new rules, new rules on safety, whatever. But I'll tell you one thing that didn't change. ESPN games last a billion years. Oh God, you could have you could have them on Mars. that last a billion years. Great crisp games on Friday and Saturday, even without fans. Uh, ESPN game not so much. Pitching had something to do with it, but look, coming to you after opening weekend and uh, giving you some reaction here. I think, as I said, going into uh, the start of the season, we we met each other and talked to each other last week. Just. A little, uh, a little under a week ago, and, and things have changed. There's a new playoff system since the last time we talked. Uh, Strowman is out. There's injuries, and like I told you, I kept comparing this to the NBA season in 1999, the uh, the lockout season. Uh, there were injuries this weekend, sloppy games, odd outcomes. You know, this whole situation with the virus and teams having to quarantine and losing players. You're going to see a uh, record number because of the the rules. Record number of players. Uh, on the roster. Now, I know if you opened up Twitter or the paper or whatever it may be, there's already fear and gloom and doom. And there's two things I could guarantee you throughout the next few weeks of the baseball season. And I think that's in sports in general, that's going to last, uh, I think, at least until the end of the calendar year. Writers are going to make it a point to continue to hammer home. Well, if the season ends, uh, if the season continues, and and look at all the issues that come with uh, this virus and, and professional sports. They're just gonna that's gonna be bled into your head over and over. They and they feel it's their their duty to remind you how dangerous things are. As if you don't know the risks of life, the media, especially the sports media, is gonna remind you. So just get used to that. That's gonna be part of it. We don't do that here. You know, you live your life, you make personal choices here. Uh, and I'm here to tell you, I think you know things are not always as bad as what everybody makes them out to look. The second thing they're going to do is they're going to continue to up and down. They got their dream with this 60-game season. It's the dream. Baseball's 162 games, but they treat it like football when just a few days ago on opening day, the Yankees win. They're going 60-0, and then they lose and get blown out, and, and things you know, level out. Mets win. You know, the Mets 48 hours ago were a strike away from 2-0. and They were a strike away from being 2-0, and and even if they were blown out yesterday, it still would have been a good weekend, and I think the narrative would have been different. That's the problem. Baseball's a long season. Baseball has these ebbs and flows. Now the media has 60 games to to make the sport what they like, which is fear-mongering every day. Uh, we're not going to do that here, but there are some concerns. And look, I'll start with just generally the experience of watching a baseball game, which was nice. And I, I said I wasn't going to get into it, and I got to tell you, I lied to you, and I, it didn't take very long for me to come back and admit to to you that I lied to you because, um, I got into it. I was into it on Friday, you know, with the Matt Adams strikeout, and I was very disappointed with what happened with Diaz on Saturday, and then obviously a little annoyed at how bad the game turned out yesterday. Not, you know, quite into it like I think I would have been 
and I still think this is going to be a wonky season and the results are going to be in question forever. Uh, but but we're watching regular real baseball, and that's nice to see. In general, the games felt normal. The broadcast was normal. I think that even though you have Gary, Keith, and Ron spaced out, uh, they didn't miss a beat. I think the biggest winner out of all this social distancing is Ron Darling. He always used to get pushed back in that crowded booth uh, and then had to always sit. Keith never would move. So, uh, you know, he's the biggest winner. They they were seamless with everything. I think the post-game interviews, although different and, and a little clunky, are, are not really a problem. Uh, I listened to the radio broadcast very briefly with uh, Wayne Randazzo and Howie Rose. Sounded normal to me. Not really upset about the no fans. Uh, you know, these a lot of times, especially with the games on ESPN, you know, the fans, either they're very annoying and negative, they sit on their hands, or they have to blast in a lot of fake noise to get them going. I mean, unless it's the postseason or a really big game, you know, the fan impact, I think, becomes less of a of a, of a factor. I think you'll see that as a factor. And maybe, I know I had said this to you guys, I would spoken to a scout who feels the Mets are one of those teams that feeds off the energy of the crowd. You know, maybe in uh, the ninth inning when they got things going, maybe a crowd would have would have helped get the juices going. But at the end, you have to you have to execute. You have to hit your pitches. You have to work the count. You have to execute your pitches like Diaz did not on Saturday afternoon. And if you do those things, I don't care if you're on Mars, uh, you'll probably get a, a good outcome. Players are walking, you know, they're working around some of these weird rules about social distancing. And I have to tell you, if you think the ball field is a unsafe place, there is a ton, based on what I see, there's a ton of places that you have Less safety than a baseball field. Baseball field might be one of the more safe places. They're getting tested like crazy. Um, the media is probably going to lose interest in this thing uh, where they're not going to police. I can already see they're not policing things as much as they used to. There was a few complaints about walk-offs. Guys, let them just – they're adults. Let them do what they have to do. They're aware of what needs to be done. So let's stop treating them like they're eight years old and it's T-ball, Okay. Uh, enough, but like I said, you've woken up and you've you've looked at the papers. It's the fear monger. Oh, the Marlins! You know the season's going to cancel because the Marlins have some guys who tested positive. Well, that's why you have a sixty-man roster. They we anticipated something like this would happen. Uh, you know the Mets are a mess and everything. But uh, let me get into the Mets and this team and, and my reaction. And uh, I, I want to preface it by saying, I mean, basically they've been playing inner squad games. They were they was they ramped up. They went down. Now they're ramped up again. I think you're going to see a lot of quirkiness, and clearly the hitters are way behind. I mean, the, every Mets hitter looked like they were behind any kind of velocity that came at them. Pete Alonso looks awful, uh, but I have zero concerns about the offense. I really, I really do. Uh, unless everybody uh, can't handle the changes that came with this, you know, new start to the season, and the whole offense goes to, uh, you know, crap. Uh, I just don't see them not being able to score. I mean, they scored in the second half last year. It's the same offense they had. If not, it's better. If you look, even with Nito in the lineup, last year when you had Nito in the lineup with the pitcher, you knew there was like two or three innings where very little was going to happen throughout a ball game. So there was more pressure on the rest of the offense. That's not the case with the DH now. Uh, and, 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 and I think that you saw that yesterday. Uh, so, I, look, I, I don't mind Conforto and Nimmo batting lower against left-handed pitchers. Both the very pedestrians. It was uh, definitely a creative lineup. I'm sure that was collaborated with the front office. Uh, I know that there's some questions about defense, and I don't think it's unfair, especially if 
they're not hitting uh, uh, or or slumping. I think you put JD Davis at the DH, or maybe you you know you have him come off the bench, put Marisnik in there for defense. I do like how they're doing the Jimenez Marisnik defense late in the ball game. I think that that's uh, a good way to go. I think it's good to have a couple of defensive players at key positions off the bench, and when an expanded roster, you could do that. I won't be able to do that forever, but um, be that as it may, they were uh, uh, you know they're that's part of what they're they're experimenting with right now and 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 I don't have a problem with that. I don't want to put Marisnik in there every day. He's, uh but I think you could certainly uh you know play it out. Look, Porcello had nothing. I know JD Davis didn't, you know, catch a couple balls in center field. There was, you know, Nimmo had a couple adventures. Even if they caught those balls, the Mets were going to get blown out yesterday. Porcello it's about right now. How can he be who he's always been, which is a mid to back end of the rotation starter? and adjust to where everybody seems to want him to pitch higher in the strike zone. So we'll get to that. The rotation certainly is a concern, especially now that Stroman's out. We don't know how long Stroman's out. But what I really want to start with is Diaz, because that's the whole story of the weekend. Because right now, the Mets are about bats and bullpen. They're not the foundation of starting pitching that they've been for the better part of five or six years. They're not anymore. Um, With Stroman in there, they were, but they were not quite the focus on pitching that they've been because the fact of the matter is they made decisions to go bullpen-centric. They did not want to invest in uh, the rotation. They let Wheeler go, and I know know what happened this weekend, trust me, with Wheeler pitching seven innings, one-run ball, that's just going to exacerbate a lot of the angst about the starting rotation. So the bullpen is going to be so important. I'm one of the biggest, as you know, Diaz supporters out there. I'm tired of Kelnick. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't care about him. You want to send me videos of him hitting home runs in practice? Send me whatever you want. I hope the guy has a long career and is good. I have nothing against him. But right now, the Mets don't need another outfielder. That's a pretty good with what they have in the outfield. The Mets need starting pitching. The Mets need their bullpen, which has undone the last season. They, uh, it undone last season. A team that could have went to the playoffs and made noise. It, it was undone by the bullpen. Diaz, to me, is the most maddening reliever we've seen come through these parts, maybe ever. I mean, I know that there's those Benitez comparison. Benitez was good, but... Diaz's stuff is there. I mean, he had the most fifth most swings and misses last year. That was a stat thrown out on the broadcast. You saw it on Saturday. You saw it on Friday. Very little contact is made against this guy. It's the dream of what you want. What you want out of a bullpen guy. The perfect bullpen guy is a guy that misses bats. Because if they don't make contact, they ain't going to come back off of you. And Saturday was typical. A lot of swings and misses, but the one... Uh, contact goes out of the ballpark. And the contact always leads to chaos. There's two types of contact that Diaz seems to fall into. There's the one that I feel really bad for him on, which is where he saw someone off and they dink it into no man's land. You see that a lot with him. And then you have like that one pitch, whether he's tipping his pitches or it's pitch selection, or it's left a little bit too far out over the plate. And they and they always hit it. They They, they never miss his mistakes, it seems like. Now, I'm sure they do. But they never miss his mistakes. Now with Ozuna, that same pitch, the fastball, he threw the day before and he took it. I would have slidered him again, but, you know, that's me. I don't even want to blame the catcher. 
because I watched that broadcast, and he shakes off the catcher a lot. I mean, that's the thing I guess I'd be more concerned about. The guy, watch him. He shakes a lot. And to me, that means you're not in sync with your catcher, but it also means there's a little bit of indecisiveness of how to go. Is there really a game plan? These are all speculative things. I don't know. I'm sure he knows what he's doing, and I think he goes with a lot of feel of the hitter, but I also think that he gets fastball happy when he could continue to slide. I mean, Friday against Adams, I said, with this two strikes, I said, throw slider. Throw that slider a little. He won't hit it. And sure enough, he did. He didn't leave it out of the play for the guy to hit. Threw a slider. Didn't mess around. Um, I heard Rojas again. We heard this with Mickey Callaway a lot last year. He said the process is there. He was happy with the pitchers. The outcome wasn't there. The problem here with Diaz is the outcome needs to come. You know, we 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 were. I was really okay with that last year. I was okay with going through that last year and understanding that, you know, that's part of baseball, a big part of baseball, process and outcome. This isn't any more about psychology and closing in New York. There's no fans in the stands. You, If Diaz wants, other than the fact that he has to sit there in the Zoom meeting after the game and listen to the media, he never has to be on social media. He never has to pick up a paper. He never has to hear from a fan unless he runs into them at the deli in New York. You don't know what they're saying about you if you don't pay attention to it. Losses like Saturday, whether you're in a 60-game season, 154-game season, 120-game season, regular 162-game season, they're crushing. I know baseball starts over the next day, but those are the kind of losses that you just, as a team, you just like, and they start and they put a cloud over you. And and you can't have them. You can't have them in any kind of season, and you certainly can't have them in a short season. You saw a small sampling this weekend. There's a lot of arms in this bullpen. Um... And you don't have to suffer through what you suffered through last year. You win with the bats in the bullpen. You get five innings, three runs, six innings, three runs by your Wakas and your Porcellos and whoever the mystery fifth starter is. I'll get to that in a minute. You get to the bullpen. You got Batances. You've got Familia. Justin Wilson looks really good. And then and that's the key here. I hear some calls for Lugo to go back to the rotation. I think it's time. And I think a lot of you agree where we got to look at Lugo. He could still be a two-inning bridge. But I think those two innings have to be later in the ball game, ball game in the eighth and ninth. And maybe you, I don't want to see you turn him into situational Diaz. But you look at a better part of the game in the lineup, depending on how the game plays out, to put him in. If you look at Diaz's numbers, even last year, just, just look at last year. Forget about this career in Seattle. Left-handers had an OPS under 700 against him. Right-handers were over 900 against him. When a lefty's up, you saw that with Albies. You saw that with Freeman. You saw that with Adams over the weekend. You don't feel as nervous about it. You don't want him to walk him. That's the problem. The walks could get into it with any side of the plate. But let's just talk about him executing his pitches. Very hard for those guys to yank him out of the park and do a lot of damage. It's the righties that hit him. Late in the year last year, Real Muto's home run. You saw it with, uh, with Ozuna on Saturday. So maybe you look at parts of the lineup and say, well, that's a good part of the lineup for him. Now, you got to get over the fact, well, we gave up Jared Kelnick for him. We gave up. You can't manage the pen and the guy about a player that doesn't matter anymore. You've got to manage this as where you are in reality right now. And the reality right now is he could still be the closer. And it's not a closer by committee, but I need. I think you need to put Lugo. I think Lugo's a 
better pitcher in those situations right now than Diaz. I think Lugo goes out there. He executes. I don't think he's uh, affected by higher leverage situations. I don't think he cares. I think you have a guy there that's perfect for a closer. Now, I know the back-to-back situation is a problem. I don't know his health restrictions. I don't know if you only go one inning. Can he go the next day? How many uh, how many runs are you ahead? You have to, and this is where you have to put thought into bullpen management. Something that hasn't happened in this town since maybe Bobby Valentine. You can't just say eighth inning guy, ninth inning guy. You could have roles, and I'm a big guy in roles. I've always been. But you also have to look at the game. The Mets are up four runs. You know, maybe you don't need to go to Lugo in those situations. But if you're up with four runs against a team like the Braves on the road in Atlanta, Top of the lineup coming up. Yeah, maybe you have to. You're up against an anemic Pirates team. Maybe not. I don't think they play the Pirates this year. But you can get my point. So that's the challenge for Rojas. That's the challenge with the game planning with the front office. But you can't game plan for that kind of stuff. You have to trust that your manager, and we're going to give him a chance here, can see through that. I didn't really have a lot of problems with his bullpen management. I didn't have a problem with the way he managed the game this weekend in general. I know there was a lot of uh, angst about him pinch running for Cespedes, and Cespedes would have been up in the bottom of the 10th. We'll get to the whole runner thing. That's a little bit. uh, I don't want to get to that now. Um, But to me, that's, that's the key here. Can he manage his bullpen? Because even with Porcello being bad last night, he's not going to give up seven runs every time. Man, he's a professional pitcher. He's probably going to pitch to a four and a half five ERA. We know that. We knew that this is who you got. You weren't getting Zach Wheeler. You were going short term. You were going short term on this, and you plug it in with veterans in the rotation. That was the veteran they went with this year, and they were planning on him being more of a four five. Now he's a three four because of an injury. Two injuries, actually. One to, to, to Syndergaard, one to Strowman. So you have to. we have to look at this thing differently. This can't just be a conversation about Diaz is bad, get him out of here, Kelnick, or yes, Diaz the closer, no, Diaz is not the closer. That's not what the conversation is. The conversation is how can you effectively put this guy in a position to be successful? It's not black and white anymore it's not just ninth inning or no ninth inning it's about what is the right scenario the right environment the kind of hitters and I know that angers you it angers you a lot because what you're saying is that's not what they signed up for when they traded him and I know that I'm, I'm, I'm very upset we're even having this conversation three games into this new season I thought we were past this and on Friday at about 6 37 o'clock when that first game uh, was ended, I thought the conversation this morning was going to be a lot different when I was planning on having this podcast. But that's where we are. I think you cannot put... You, you talk about putting Lugo in the rotation. That's what he wants. That's how he's going to make money. But I would sit Lugo down and say, you know, you could also make money as an elite closer, elite reliever. And unless he cannot, absolutely zero zilch nada, have any ability to go three out of five days at least, because that's the key, three out of five days, I'd like him to be able to go four out of five days, but if he can't do that three out of five, you've got enough depth with Patances, with Familia, with Diaz, where you could spot the closer in those other two days. And you don't need a closer all five days in a row. Very rarely do you need him. There are going to be stretches, and you have to prepare for that, but you don't need him every every day. Not every game is going to be a one-two run game. And this offense, despite the fears that are being put out to you, despite the fact they looked ugly and they were missing a lot of balls and... Pete Alonso looks every bit as lost as 
as you could. Nobody really looked good. Even with Cespedes hitting the home run, he didn't look great this weekend. I mean, the only one who really looked good offensively was Nimmo. And he struck out in a big spot on Saturday. So this is the challenge. There is no way Terry Collins could handle a bullpen, even with all these arms, because he wouldn't know how to mix and match it. He needs paint by the numbers. I think this front office has enough ingenuity to be able to navigate through this. I think Rojas is a fresh face. You know, Mickey Calloway showed that he really didn't have that kind of knack for managing the bullpen. Let's see how this guy does. Let's see if this is the direction they go. Now, you don't want to yank him. But we're not coddling him here. We don't have time for a psychology session with Edwin Diaz this year. You want to learn about him? Yes, you want to learn about him. Because that's going to be my next whole thing about the rotation after the break. Where you go with this starting rotation is important, not just for this year, for 2021. But you have to put him in position to be successful. And I think you have to start to look where he's a lot more successful against left-handed, laden lineups than others. There's certain types of parts of the lineup, certain types of players that I think he's going to be more successful against than others. I think you have to get creative and match him up. You have enough arms to do it. Lugo could go two innings. And I think Lugo's more of a shutdown guy right now than Diaz. And if you ask me, big spot, ninth inning, which guy out of that bullpen do you want on the mound? It's Seth Lugo. And I think you all agree. It's not Patances, It's not Familia. It's not Diaz. It's Seth Lugo. And it was Seth Lugo last year at the end of the year as well um, that I would have wanted on the mound. This has been the case for a while. I'm a big Seth Lugo fan. He's shown me a lot in that, in that uh, position. And I know, again, you, well, put him in the rotation. I you know I don't know if we're at that point, and uh, I certainly think him as a, having Lugo as a starter is more valuable than Lugo as a reliever in terms of a, as a player. I know he's more valuable as a reliever to this team, but I think his he, his ability to go two innings is a weapon, and I, and there's still a lot and for him as his career, and, and eventually when he's a free agent, I feel the guy will leave and want to get a starting job. So. This might only be for the year or two. That's a conversation they have internally. And if that's the direction this is going, then maybe they need to just say, hey, if I want this guy around, let me you know, move him towards where he wants to be. But they may not feel he can stay healthy that they'd even sign him to a contract. So who knows? I mean, that's, that's not a conversation for today. So Edwin Diaz, it's not about Diaz. Remember, not about Diaz bad or good. It's about putting Diaz in a position to succeed. And right now, that's not just a situation where it's the ninth inning is his or not. It's about how the game is played out the kind of lineup, the kind of players that are up, and that's what has to be done for the for the 2020 season. And maybe that's what has to be done for good until we see something else, we see something different. But even if he gets better, you've already seen the heartbreak kid in him. And I don't know if he'll ever feel 100% comfortable with him. Even if he saved 50 games in a row, there's always that thing in the back of your head that says, ooh, number 51, that could be the home run, the Ozuna home run. And it'll happen in the worst possible spot. They always do. And that's why careers, especially closer careers, go to hell in a handbag in this town very quickly. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, the Mets starting rotation. It's a little messy right now. It's not what we expected. It's not what we want. But it's very important that the decisions they make, not only are for 2020, but for 2021. And I'll tell you why. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast loves catching up with Mets alumni. Hear former pitcher Doug Sisk talk about the 1986 team when he joined me for the 30th anniversary weekend on May 29th, 
2016. No, you know what? We were no different than anybody else right now. It's just that right now, I think with all the cell phones, all the multimedia and all that, I mean, you can't get away with anything. Back then, it's not that we tried to get away with anything or anything like that. It was just we were free-spirited. We did what it took to win the game on and off the field. If we needed to be prepared whatever way it was, everybody was different. We had guys who would drink some beer in the front of the plane. We had guys that would drink this or have fun. And the other guys were playing Trivial Pursuit in the middle of the plane. Everybody was different. And they all respected what we did. But there was never one time where none of us ever focused on the game of baseball. And Davey will tell you that 100%. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. So the Mets rotation, uh, that's the the other big thing. And again, this is a team now. This is going to be more, this will be a different type of foundation. This is more like the 2016 where you're building off of bats and bullpen. I mean, look at that team. Yeah, you had Pedro and you acquired El Duque. I mean, John Main, Alvar Perez, they were high-end guys. Uh, you, you know, that was a team built on bats and bullpen. And I know you're going to say the collapse in 07, and then they got Santana, they knew their issues. And I'm not trying to go back and revisit history here, but there is a good chance with these new playoff rules where pretty much more than half the league gets in, that even with a record of 500 or slightly better, the Mets are going to be in the playoffs. And that's a tournament, and that's a different situation. You have DeGrom, you have Mets, you'll have Strowman by then. I don't think Strowman's going to be out for the year. I mean, you know, hopefully, you know, for him, for his sake, especially with a f- free agent year. I think he's going to, you know, really try to get this thing back and, and, and try to contribute. But with that playoff format, other than home field, if you're one of the lower seeds, who cares? You get in and you win a tournament. This is truly a tournament season. That's why I think it's important. Even though you want to win, even though winning is important, I've never changed that stance. I've always preached that stance here. Right now, you have a mystery fifth starter. Let's assume everybody else stays healthy. Strowman's going to be out in two, three weeks. I don't know. You have a mystery fifth starter. And right now, it's not going to be Corey Oswald because he came in yesterday. And I, I got to tell you the truth. Similar to Chris Flexen, who got a zillion chances here. I, I just, I, I'm sure Corey Oswald's a nice guy. And I and I know that there's probably something they see in him, and he and he tends to put uh, good uh, outings together in the minor leagues. Maybe he's just a starter. Maybe the routine and the up and down nature of what his plight has been as a big leaguer has impacted him. But uh, every time the guys like this come in and get lit up, it makes you wonder. I mean, you can't even get a decent five, six innings, three runs out of the guy. I mean, at some point you got to move on. Maybe he's a KBO guy too. Maybe he should be pitching in Korea like Flexen is. But. I don't know, and I don't haven't seen them announce who the the starter is going to be. And maybe by the time you you hear this, it's, it doesn't matter because they have. I am not in favor of them going, and and I know that they're going to have to based on what I see. The active roster right now, unless it's Oswald who's on the forty man, and unless they go with a straight, they could go with a straight bullpen game. Not in favor of that, but I guess they can do that if they believe Stroman's going to be back sooner rather than later. I don't know why you would do that. There's, there's no reason why you can't designate someone off of that 40-man. Uh, even if you put 
I don't know if Strowman's at a 60-day DL. I don't think it's the 60-day DL anymore. I think it's it's less. I think it's 20 or something like that. Um, I mean, I look at this. There's got to be someone you could designate off of this. Uh, you know, Maybe they'll go and get a, a, a spot on someone else's taxi squad. But there's got to be someone you could designate off of this. I look at you know, maybe a... Uh, a Hunter Strickland, who I'm not uh, not that crazy about, Jason Shreve. You you could you could designate somebody off of this, and, and then uh, as far as the forty man, because uh, that's the one I'm looking at. Uh, who's on this thing? I mean, you, neither Peterson nor Kevin Smith, and that's where I'm going here. Those are the guys that I'd go with. They'd have to be put on the forty man. They're not on it right now, but you know what? At this point, you want to use 2020 as a springboard for 2021. You want to see what you have. There's been a lot of talk about Peterson improving. Kevin Smith, a young lefty that's been a stealth prospect in the system. I know you have Erasmo Ramirez, and you'd have to put him on the roster anyway, too. I mean, he's a guy that has somewhat of a track record in Tampa. It's been a long time since he's had success. He's 30 years old. Do you think something that Boston and Tampa... Didn't see that the Mets see. I want to think that their analytics department is better and improved and there's undervalued assets out there. Is this the next Rick Reed? Can Erasmo Ramirez be Rick Reed? If he is, and you think you have, you stole yourself a, a decent back in the rotation arm, great. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's the, the... I think that might be where they go at the start, depending on how long Stroman is out, because I don't think they want to throw those young guys on the 40-man roster too quick. Uh, you know, financially, there could be some reasons for that. But I think, especially if a guy like, you want to give Ramirez the first crack at this, okay, I'll deal with that. It goes to Boston. However, I don't want to see a, tr- uh, a, a litany of veterans whose careers are way behind them being plugged in while Stroman is out, or if someone else is out, Waka, whatever, when you have a couple of kids out in Brooklyn, in Coney Island, playing in sim games like Peterson and Kevin Smith, give those guys a chance to show you what they got. You have to walk away with as much information after this season as to how you're going to build in 2021. And let's face it, the Mets are going to need starting pitching. Yeah, I'm sure Stroman will be all right and come back. The calf is a bad injury, but he'll be back. And I know Syndergaard will be back at some point next year, but you cannot go into next season assuming you'll get an inning out of Syndergaard coming back from Tommy John surgery. Even though there's a high percentage chance you will, he's got to be a plus one. Strowman's a free agent. I looked at the free agent list just before I came on the air. I mean, yeah, you got Trevor Bauer. I know you'll probably have a new owner and people are excited. The Mets will be able to go out and sign people and whatever. But you also got to realize if you don't have anybody to sign, then it's just six of one, half dozen of another. There's a lot of guys on here that are less than exciting as far as free agents. Uh, You know, Corey Kluber may be a free agent. Mike Fires, Jake Arrieta, he's getting up there in age. I mean, you could... You could do something. You could put something together to get yourself a rotation next year. But you're going to need the young pitchers to step up. And now you've even had some of the other younger pitchers in your minors, the guys that may be the next Kevin Smith or someone like DeGrom who comes out of nowhere. Those guys are not getting the development time this year because of the minor league baseball cancellation. So you're going into next year, you're going to require a lot of your minor league system to be littered with some veterans that could help plug in because you just don't know what you're going to get. You're going to need more Erasmo Ramirez's, and maybe that's why they brought a guy like this into the fold. But to me, the guys that you need to start looking at are the Petersons, the Kevin Smiths, because ultimately, 
That's how this rotation became what it was. You transitioned away from John Neese and Dylan G, and you went to Matz, and you went to Syndergaard. Uh, DeGrom came in. You moved away from R.A. Dickey. Those are the reasons why they became the rotation they became. Now, they got lucky. They got four or five guys that were really top of the rotation. And last year, you saw it kind of come together. When Stroman came over, you had guys that were four out of five starts were top 25 in all of baseball. You're not going to see that again. That's not common. That's just not common. So what you're going to need to do is start to see who you could plug in. And part of that is giving these guys the chance to compete against real big league headers and real big league situations, no fans in the stands, in a season where you can mess around because a lot of people are going to make the playoffs. Yeah, there's a chance the Mets don't make the playoffs, and there's going to be teams that are probably pretty good because the way that the standings go, first place and second place in every division may not be equal to third and fourth place in, in other divisions. But there's a good chance that 500 is going to get you in. So why would you worry about messing around with a minor league pitcher who has promise because it's going to kill two birds with a stone. It might give you a better outing than the Ramirez of the world. It might give you a better outing than the Porcellos of the Wakas of the world. See, Waka to me is going to be really interesting, his start. Because if he can show you that he can be middle of the rotation and healthy, then it's a little bit, I feel a little bit better when Stroman comes back. Because now Porcello to me is the guy that from day one, I thought it was a decent signing, but I never wanted him to be top of the rotation. And I think there's going to be a lot of times where he's going to pitch well, but I think he's also his numbers are going to be inflated because you're going to see games like yesterday. That's what middle of the rotation, the back of the rotation guys do. Good lineups clobbered them, especially on the road. Now, that was at home yesterday, but you get my point. So this is important. The, the Mets are now going to be built differently. They're going to be built on offense because offense is more predictable and offense stays healthy. Bullpen, even though it's volatile, you could probably get a two- or three-year investment in a, in a reliever. You don't need to go five, six, seven years. And they're less expensive, so they're not as debilitating to the payroll. You could go out and get yourself another version of Batances. There's hope. I mean, the Mets haven't gotten this right in years. But you hope that there's going to be failed starters or young arms in this organization. Drew Smith, Riley Gilliam, uh, Matthew Blackham, whoever. I mean, there's so many names that have come through that you're like, when is the next nice, really solid reliever going to come out of this organization like every other freaking team, like the Yankees, like the Dodgers? It hasn't happened, and it's just amazing that they haven't been able to develop any of these relievers. But um, you're going to get guys like that. It's going to happen. It's hard to, you know, what's the old saying? A blind, uh, blind squirrel always finds a nut at some point. That's what the Mets are with relievers coming out of their, coming out of their organization. But the starting pitching is is the one that gets expensive and tricky, and you're going to have to be a little bit more plug-and-play at certain times. Maybe you need to start the season uh, a little short and try to get a little bit uh, you know, more solidified by acquiring someone later in the season like other teams. Like Houston did it last, uh, a couple of years ago with Van Verlander, and that's a, a, a well-oiled machine. They need to go out and get a big-time starter. Now, it's a little bit more frustrating, and it's tricky because you could overpay, and you've seen the Yankees strike out with those guys until they were able to sign Cole. And again, you don't know what the Mets are going to do this offseason. Even though it's very soon that the offseason will be here, we'll be talking about that, it's not the time. So that's what I think the Mets should do. They should find a way to get these two young guys, one of them at least, figure out which one you feel is more developed. My guess it's Peterson. And you put him on the 40-man you get him into some action, even if it's three, four, five starts, whatever, how long Strowman's out. Let's see what the kid's got. Erasmo Ramirez has a track record. You're probably going to get 
League average, slightly below league average. That's what you're going to get. I mean, he's 30 years old. Unless he's Rick Reed and he's all of a sudden found himself, I have a hard time believing that all of a sudden the Mets have found this gem. Now, if you want to plug him in for a start here, start here, that's, that's different. But to me, Stroman is not just going to be out of start here, start there. Might be a little longer. I think Stroman's going to be out two, three weeks. You know, you're looking at three, four, five starts. And that's a big deal in a season where maybe you were going to get 12 total. But there's a very strong shift. That's the point here. The Mets are going to have to start to find starting pitching where that was never an issue for them. And they are much stronger in the offense. And I think the bullpen is something that Brody will figure out. Because you could spend some money there with a new ownership group. You can develop, hopefully develop, some of your own young arms to get some kind of uh, value out of it. And then you go out and you figure out the rotation. You have anchors. You have DeGrom. Mats is still going to be here. Uh, you hope that Walker gives you something. I mean, he's a one-year solution. But you have Mats and DeGrom. And you're going to probably go out and be able to sign a Stroman or a Bauer or somebody to join that group. That's three. And then you have your fifth starter. Or maybe you bring back Waka if something you know if he shows that he's good. And then you figure out when Syndergaard coming back because he'll be that plus one. But in the interim, you're still going to need six, seven, eight, nine. You're going to need it at eight, nine, ten starters, even in uh, a you know season like this sometimes. Because you have these COVID rules. Uh, even next year, you might have some. You're probably going to have some of these rules next year. It's not just all of a sudden going to go away. These these COVID rules. So you're going to need to be much deeper. Teams are going to have to be much deeper. It's got to come from within. It's got to come from within your organization. It's got to be these young pitchers, and it's got to start now. And that's why those guys should get a chance if there starts to be had in this 2020 season. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, final thoughts. We'll talk about the 10th inning runner. We'll talk about the new playoff format. Eh, I'm not as against this stuff as I was a week, two weeks ago, but it's still bothering me. Anyway, we'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silver, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final segment here on the Talking Mets podcast. Our first after the start of the regular season Talking Mets podcast. Good to be back. Good to be talking baseball. Uh, let me get into some of the things about the rules that we saw this week. And so uh, start off, starting out with the playoff system, basically this came down after our last podcast, and I mentioned it earlier in the, in the program. But the first and second place team in every division will make it, and then the next two teams with the best record will after that. And I, I was so against that expanded playoffs when I first heard it earlier in the summer, late spring. I think we heard it early in the summer, but I think I understand it now. As long as, and I, and I said this, and I said this to Tim Healy a couple of weeks ago, and I'm telling this to you guys now, don't believe that some of this stuff is for just this shortened season. And it's not for safety, like especially the 10th inning rule. These are true trial balloons that they're putting out there where they cannot be criticized for these trial balloons because they could always say this is not a normal season. There's always, and that's why winning in this season is going to be so difficult and, and justifiable because there's always going to be that asterisk. Well, you did it with just the DH in the National League for one year. Well, you did it because there was the 10th inning runner. Well, you know the deal. But between the 10th inning runner, which we saw in action on Saturday, and the Mets were 
it was against the Mets. They basically bing, bang, boom, they got ahead. And the Mets potentially, if they had gotten a clean inning, if Hunter Strickland had come in with a clean inning, it was very possible they would have won that game in the bottom of the 10th. Very possible. So be that as it may, whether it be the 10th inning rule where the runner starts on second, and I think there's a certain amount of excitement and strategy that comes into that play, or the playoffs where not everybody makes it, the league has now made the same declarative statement that the NBA and the NHL and the NFL, I think, as they expand wild cards will do too, where the regular season is about entertainment and individual performance, and the postseason is where it gets serious and it's about winning. And that bothers me because I'm all about winning, I'm all about serious, I'm all about the game being about the game. But I also know 162 games in a regular season in 183 days is not for every fan. There's different levels of fan engagement. Life is busy. There's a lot of messages in life. There's a lot of things to do in life. And baseball becomes sometimes a distraction in a negative way where it's like smack in the middle of your day and you can't just get there and engage in it at the high level that a lot of people who listen to this broadcast do. So there's got to be something to engage those fans who say, I want to watch Netflix. I want to go to the beach. Uh, I'll go to the ballpark, but I'm going there really for the food and the Shake Shack and the McDonald's family Sunday or whatever it may be. I'm not necessarily going to see how Luis Rojas is, manages the three-batter rule. Which, by the way, I didn't even really put that in there. The three-batter rule didn't really bother me all that much. And I think in some ways, as much as I still hate messing with the rules, because baseball is the one sport unlike the NBA, unlike the NFL, unlike the NHL, where all teams throughout different generations were on the same playing field. I know the mound was changed, but other than that, it's been pretty much the same game. And now that's changing with the three-batter rule. But that's going to force managers and organizations, I think, to develop guys to go both sides of the plate. I think it's important. I think there is a certain flow of the game when the three batters come in. I think it does add something to it. I still think the managers should manage, and I hate it. But uh, if you're telling me out of the three things that we're faced with, the runner on second, the expanded playoffs, the three batter, which one do I have to live with? If I had a choice, it'll be that one. And you were going to have to live with that anyway because that was in play before all this stuff happened. But with like my original point, with the league saying right now they are about entertainment in the regular season, serious winning in the postseason, that's where our world is at. Uh, I think there's too many teams in the playoffs right now with what the situation is, but if you want to expand into a wild card tournament, I, and I don't know how with weather impacting, and I and I don't like baseball going into November. Uh, I still say, and and, and maybe that, and I, I think they're going to have to if they really want to expand the playoffs, they're going to have to think about this long term. Get down to 154 games, shave a week off the season, have a week wild card playing, where you know you get those week of games, the wild card playing week. We have maybe a couple extra wild card teams, and they play to the, for the right to be the fourth seed in the tournament. Let's say when they everything shakes out, you got the three division division winners, the wild card. That probably will do more for revenue, and it'll give them the inventory and the dollars they need from the networks than the last regular season of games would do. Out of all the years we've been watching baseball, yeah, you had that crazy day on the last day of the regular season with the wild card with the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Rays back, what, 10 years ago? Those are anomalies. Yeah, you had the Mets with their run to the wild card in 99, and that was a great last few games of the season. But you think the Pirates fans cared about that, that that weekend? They didn't. The Mets fans cared about that. The Reds fans cared about that, and the Mets fans cared about that weekend. The Milwaukee fans didn't care about it. Pirate fans didn't care about it. It's two teams. 
So it didn't really generate the excitement. But if you have all these teams in the wild card race, in this tournament, to get in, knowing that most teams can, in a short series, I don't care who you are, you can get hot, you can cause some damage. That will be different. And then I would be, okay, you want to expand into this wild card tournament, these second-tier teams that are kind of good, but flawed, but, you know, bounce here, bounce there, could be in the top tier. Fine. The second runner on second base, to me, is... I mean, they did it this year as a travel balloon because there's nobody in the ballpark. There's no reason. To sit. Whether you're in the ballpark park three hours, three and a half, four hours, you're not any less safe or more safe. Let's let's just be honest here. You guys can get mad about COVID conversation on this on this podcast, but let's be let's be logical. You're gonna tell me a four hour game versus three and a half hour game is is more is more unsafe? They're sitting. They're all over the ballpark. There's nobody in the damn stadium. This was about child ballooning a, a rule. Now, Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post, who, if you don't follow him on Twitter, at Mike Vac, who's been on this program, had a great solution. You want to go into this lunacy? You want to put this carnival thing because you don't want the games to last long? You want the players out? Of, you want to save pitching? That's probably a big part of that, and I understand that to a certain degree. He believes that this is coming. This is coming post-COVID in a 162 season. I don't know if I agree with that yet. I think we need to fight it. I think the fans, and especially the hardcore fans, need to fight it. I think the players need to fight it. I think the pitchers hate it. And I think the players will determine its future. I think the players need to say they hate it. I think that's where it starts. And the fans need to put a little pressure, too. He says if it's inevitable, which I hope it's not, but if it is, play out the 10th and the 11th inning as normal, start it in the 12th. That I agree with. I think the 10th is way too quick. Now, the third thing he suggests, go to a point system. Two for a win, one for an extra inning loss, just like the NHL did, and maybe have that factor into the standings. That's a little different. Now, that would add a little component. Um, I'm not opposed to that, but again, I think my issue, and I'm a winter sports guy. I mean, I love the NBA. I have nothing against the NHL. They're great sports. I'm sure a lot of you out there are huge NBA or NHL fans as well. But I've always felt baseball has been built on being with us every night, marathon, and a, and, a, and, a, and a long-term will to win over the course of, a, of six months. It's almost like that marathon season that you don't get. Now, I know the other sports are, are, are you know, obviously long, but again, you're the fifth seed, the fourth seed, the second seed in the NBA. You could still win. I mean, with the way the NBA is now, they don't really care. You want home court, but certain teams like LeBron James type teams, they're like, I, I could win on the road. You want home court because that matters in the NBA. Even the NHL doesn't get a hot goalie. It doesn't matter where you play. You can play on the moon. And so the regular season, again, goes back to entertainment. Here, I don't want baseball to be that. I want that to be the the ultimate struggle where you climb the mountain, and I know it hurts when you get to the top of the mountain like you did in 2015, and then you fall all the way back down. It's like Sisyphus. It's like the old Greek uh, tale. It hurts, but that's what makes winning special. I feel like some of this will take away from the specialness of the winning. And I think Mike Vaccaro has a great idea. I think he's trying to meet everybody in the middle, and I'm all for that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I don't know if we're ready to go that route. I know change sometimes happens little by little, whether it be in society, socially, or with sports. And we have to accept change. Look, the wild card, I guess, for some was radical back in 1994. I was all for it. I thought they should have had it 10 years earlier. 
yeah, selfishly as a Mets fan, you wanted to see because it would have changed the 80s at a, at a very dramatic way, I think, in a very dramatic way. But to me, that was sensible change. This might be too radical. And I think when you start playing with the rules, that's radical. Three batter rule, okay, you're forcing managers and organizations to go back to the way things were where you had guys that could go lefty-righty and you didn't have to play the matchup, matchup, matchup. I mean, we've gotten to so much data that every extra percentage helps. Plus, the media runs a lot of that because managers are afraid to get criticized for being different. I mean, Edwin Diaz, in all tense purposes, we talked about this earlier in the program, Edwin Diaz is a situational lefty. Look at the numbers for last year. He's not a lefty, but he's a situational lefty. So, so that's my thing. I, again, I'll summarize it quick. Hate the playoff system in general for like long term, but understand it for this year because of sixty games being, you know, not a good barometer for people to win. Wanted to see more of a wild card playing type thing going forward. That last week, shave the regular season games, put it into more of a tournament for the wild card. I'm fine with that going forward. I think that's better for the sport. That falls into the change that's really no different than the 94 wild card introduction. Hate the sec- runner on second base rule. Want it eliminated, but if I have to compromise, Vaccaro's 12th inning uh, conversation isn't bad. Open to the point situation. Would have to see how that impacts the standings. Not sure how. I, I haven't thought through that as much. And then the three battle rule, you know what? It's probably here to stay. And, uh, you know, it's a necessary evil because of analytics, because of a different generation of front offices, different generation of managers, differently trained pitchers. If it trains us to go back to pitchers being more both sides in terms of execution and less specialization, I think we've specialized ourselves into a thimble, then I'm all for it. So that's my thoughts on the rules. And uh, Chuck, hopefully you enjoyed it. No guests today, but a Chuck full of information podcast. Really be interesting. Mets head out to Fenway Park. They head out to uh, Atlanta this week. I guess it's a home-and-home with the the Red Sox and the Mets. be the first time the Mets play the Red Sox in a while. Always enjoy seeing them play in Fenway Park. And uh, we'll see. It'll be very interesting to see. Michael Walker's start is going to determine to me if they could survive Stroman being out. It also will determine when Stroman comes back, assuming he's healthy, and I, I believe he will be, whether this rotation can have any ability to be decent and compete. Because right now, the one thing that worries me, this rotation is woefully short on competing over the span of a regular season. I think in a short series, they can. Um, But with all these teams making the playoffs, it doesn't matter right now. So let's use this as an ability to get some of the young pitchers out there. Let's see what they got. That's what uh, I believe. So anyway, I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. You can check me out on Twitter at Mike Silva Media. And by the way... Send me a note, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingPets.com. I blew it again, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Tongue-tied again. Of course, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the ball games. Take care, everybody.
Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.